Well, this is interesting because my guest today is somebody that I don't know. I've never met her, but I've just finished reading her latest. Well, it's the latest book that I know of, Waiting to Begin, it's called. And her name is Amanda Prouse. And I absolutely loved it. And I, I, I can't wait to meet her. So here we go. Amanda, hello, how are you? Oh, I'm great, thank you. Good, well thank you for joining me on my tea with Twiggy. Are you drinking tea? Do you drink tea? I always have something on the go. What have you got? Ha- What's your favourite? I've, actually, I've gone a bit herbal today. I've mm. gone mint mint and green tea. I'm trying to cut down on me caffeine. Yeah, I've got um, lemon and ginger. Oh, lovely, good for your throat. Yeah, I always have builder's tea in the morning. Yeah. Obviously, so, builders in the morning <laughs> and then herbal after four usually. But I've, yeah, I've not been sleeping and I realise my caffeine intake is oh. way too high. So I'm, I'm yeah. on it. Yeah, because I actually, I don't drink coffee because it gives it gives me heart palpitations. But actually tea's got quite a lot of um, caffeine in as well, hasn't it? Yeah, I was a coffee addict, but I've managed to wean myself off it. So. Yeah, no, I'm, I've never drunk coffee. But anyway, cheers. Cheers. So are you in the middle of a new book? I'm always in the middle of a new book. It's quite funny because I write sort of a year ahead. So some people say, oh, I've just read your latest. And I have to think, what one's that that's just come out then? Because I do two or three a year. And obviously, you know, the ones that people are reading, you know, now I might have written over a year ago. But so, That's amazing. I mean, yeah. talk about prolific. That's incredible. I mean, I, I, I know quite a few writers, but often, you know, they do one book every two, three, four years. Is it just there? I mean, is it, do you just suddenly, does something spark an idea and you think I've got, I've got to go there and, 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 and follow this? Do you know, does it happen? It's weird for me. So I didn't start writing until I was 42 and I'm 53 now. And uh, I've done every job. I've done everything. I've been a waitress, you know, a cleaner, worked on a market. I've done everything. Got sacked from every job I've ever done. Useless (laughs) at everything. And all... (laughs) It's true. That's brilliant. <laughs> and always thought I'd love to write a book, but I thought, what am I going to write about? I've never done anything. I've never been anywhere. I've never travelled or climbed a mountain. You know, I thought you had to be clever to write a book. I thought you had to have a spare room and have been to Mallorca a couple of times. And I'd never done that and I didn't have a spare room. So I thought, I haven't got anything to write about. But all through my life, books have always come into my head completely fully formed or stories, should I say. And I thought that happened to everyone. I didn't realise that wasn't, you know, that wasn't normal. And in fact, it wasn't until I was doing a a book show on on the radio with a couple of other authors. And I said, you know what it's like when your book comes in and you get that whoosh? And they all sort of looked at me and I went, oh. And that's when I realised it sort of happens to me, which is why I can write so quickly, because I don't have to really think about the twists, the turns. I've spoken to again to other writers and sometimes they say they get an idea and then it has to unfold slowly and they don't know where it's going but you get the whole beginning middle and end that's yeah. amazing and and I I also get the whole backstory so I have in my head I never make a note or write anything down or a plan I've never done that I've just had these filing cabinets in my head where I store it all and I have their backstory I know their world I could tell you right now what all my characters are doing right now today where they are what they're for breakfast <laughs> what their kids are up to I know. I'd have been locked up for it years ago wouldn't I <laughs> well I've just finished I think it's well I'll tell you it's your latest book uh waiting to begin and I've I've fallen madly in love with the lead character Bessie 
Oh God, you're so. What's so brilliant about, um, you know, lots of people write good stories, and when it comes to dialogue, it you know it comes and goes, and your dialogue between her and her husband and her and her mum and dad, her mum and dad, they reminded me of my mum and dad. <laughs> you know, they, they're from another era, another, I don't want to tell the story on, on the podcast because people, you've got to read this book, everyone. It's brilliant. It's called Waiting to Begin and it's, um, I have a box of tissues. I had a few tears. <laughs> I had a few tears, but um, it's gorgeous. Thank you. And I congratulate you. I, re- I really, really enjoyed it. Thank I've got you. to actually, I, I saw on your website, you've done a book called Theo mm. and one called Anna, am I right? Because yeah. my grandson is called Theo, he's 20 months old. And I thought, I've got to read that one. Which one should I read first? Read Anna first and then read Theo, because it's basically, it's a love story told in three different perspectives, but not the same story. So it's not like, you know, he looked at her and she looked at him in different books, but it's the things that is important in their lives, very much reflected And it's the story of their birth until the end of their life. These characters, it goes right the way through their lives. But um, Theo, he's just a lovely character. I absolutely adore him. I hope you do too. Ooh, so do I let you know. (laughs) I'm going to get those two next, actually. So you didn't start writing till you were 42. That's amazing. Mm. And you didn't know you could write. You hadn't written stuff you know no no. short stories no I thought you know I just thought it wasn't for someone like me I didn't have a great education I grew up in a house without any books not because my mum and dad you know banned them but because they were just too busy earning money and putting food on the table to be honest to sit and read where where did you grow up I was born in Stepney Um, my family from East Ham Forest Gate and North London and then uh, lived in Essex went to school in Clockhouse just outside of Romford and then lived all over and married a soldier so we've lived all over and now we're in the West Country, but still a Londoner at heart. Oh, so you, you live where he's posted, yeah? We did, but now we've now he's you know he's um, he's grown up too. So we've sort of settled down. We're on a farm, believe it or not, in the middle of nowhere. So if we get interrupted by a chicken or a dog or a goat <laughs> or a sheep, don't worry, it has happened before. <laughs> well, maybe that'll be the next book. <laughs> it makes me laugh though. I sort of, do you know, sometimes I wake up, I look out the window, and I think, how did I end up here? How's this happened? You know, I'm in this, I'm on a farm. It's really weird, It's but I love it. I absolutely love the peace and quiet You, you don't it. miss the travelling with, with the, you know, your husband's no, work? No, I didn't like that at all. It never felt, you know, all I want to do really, my, my favourite pastime is sort of seeing my mum and having a cup of tea with my mum. That's all I want to do. So I've never been one for fancy restaurants or nightclubs or even holidays, really. I just want to see me mum and dad for a cuppa, see me nieces and nephews, you know, chat to me mates. I don't really... It wasn't a life I really liked going and, you know, living in some different places. It didn't suit me. Do your mum and dad live down near you now? Yeah, they do. So we came here. Uh, my dad got a job in the West Country when I think uh, my brothers and I, I'm one of four, uh, were sort of in our late teens. And then I went straight back to London, obviously, and stayed there until I met Simeon. Um, but yeah, so they stayed here now. But my mum, it's funny, she still feels like an East Ender. She says, I won't ever feel like a Bristolian, even though she's been here since she was sort of 50 and she's now in her 70s. She said, I'm, I always feel like, you know, I'm from Forest Gate. She doesn't really feel that she yeah. belongs here, I suppose. No, well, I think wherever you're born and brought up, I mean, I, I've, I've travelled the world with work and things, but I still f- feel very much a Londoner. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And also, I notice I love meeting other Londoners or people from where I'm from because I feel like I have a connection to them, even though I don't. You know, we've probably, you know, you meet people on holiday and you might have nothing in common, but because you 
know the same streets or you've been to the same place instantly. There's that sort of kinship and I, I love that. Do you ever meet people when you're travelling or when you're just, you know, in down the shops and you think, oh, that's a good character. Does that ever happen? All the time. <laughs> All the time. And what makes me laugh is sometimes I'll put someone I know or someone I've met in a book and they might even mention it to me and say, oh, I didn't like her much. And I go, no, I know. And I'm thinking, oh, it's based on you. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, but yeah, I do. I, I gather quirks, I gather accents, I gather uh, appearances, all different things about people. And I think um, my characters are largely all rooted in me because they have to be, don't they? If we, Really, if I'm writing a woman, yeah. that's what I know. But yeah. um, I like to borrow other characteristics. Yeah, of people, definitely. I also read that you'd had, you've got two boys, right? Yeah, two boys in their 20s. But there was a, a wonderful article. Again, it made me cry about because um, you had lots of miscarriages. And I'd had a miscarriage years and years and years ago. And I and it just was, it was very touching to read. And I loved that you came through it, obviously. And actually, an, another dear friend of mine, Mylene Class. Do you know Mylene? Oh, she's lovely, Mylene. And she's just done a program about it because it, it did become a thing you didn't talk about. Definitely and it's so wonderful it. now that people are because it is a major thing and it is something you know. I mean, I, I was lucky. I after my miscarriage, I went on to have my daughter, who I absolutely, you know, she's my best friend. She's grown up now, and I've got two beautiful grandchildren from her. But you know, you never forget that one that didn't happen, do you? No, you and it's think. lovely that people like you are writing about it, talking about it. Mylene's doing a program about it because I think lots of women you know, suffer in silence because people don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult to talk about and yet it's so common. And I know that, you know, my nan, for example, she uh, she she had a stillbirth actually, but she also had a miscarriage and she never mentioned it until the day she died. And then yeah. even in the sort of last few months of her life, she, it, she wanted to revisit it. Uh, yeah. It was on her mind. And I totally understood that because I've had, I've had a, a lot. Yeah, um, I know. I read. At, yeah, I've written a book about it actually called "The Idea of You." It's a fiction, but it's sort of based on my experiences. Oh, okay. And um, and I think it's one of those things that I felt very, I felt really conflicted by it because I felt very guilty. What was it I'd done wrong that meant mm -hmm. this happened? Uh, what should I have done differently? And how was I supposed to grieve? Was it stupid to grieve? Because what was it? You know, was it a baby? Was it a child? Did I, uh, was I still a mum? Uh, I felt really unsure of the terminology or what I was allowed to feel. All those things, um, I think that's quite common. Did you already have uh, your children before you? Well, I had Josh, I had a couple of miscarriages. Then I had Josh, then I had another seven. And then my Simeon and I had a boy each when we met. So that's how I have two boys. So I gave okay. birth to one and I have uh, inherited one. I say it was like Iceland, you know, buy one, get one free. I got the husband <laughs> and I got another baby. In fact, I love my <laughs> I love my son before I, before I actually met Simeon. So Ben was Josh's friend. So he used to come for oh, tea at my house. I know. Oh, so it's lovely. so yeah, sweet. Really so you is. met your husband through... Yeah, they were in the same friend. class at school. <laughs> Do you think they were matchmaking? No, they hated each other when we got together. They were like, oh, oh no, oh, no. I can remember when we sort of came clean and said, you know, how would you feel if Ben's dad was my boyfriend? Oh, no, I'd hate that. I thought, oh, God, here we go. But um, That's so funny. It's, you, you know, it's not like the Brady Bunch, is it, where you form a step family and it's instantly no. fantastic. No, I'm, I'm the same as you because when I met Lee, I had Carly, my daughter. She was six and he had a, a son of eight. 
same as us and he had it stepped up so it was and we we took it because of the children because i was widowed and he he left a relationship two three years before so we were very gentle going into you know our relationship which is now we we celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary last month so i love that congratulations (laughs) yeah that's amazing i love that but we were very careful because of the kids because obviously it's their life as well oh exactly i mean in fact that was probably a big a bigger consideration i mean you know when i met him i knew i fancied him i knew i I knew i could probably (laughs) fall in love with him but it was all about what was right for the boys because even though they were both in a good place, actually, it's still, I felt their little lives had had upheaval and, yeah. and you know, it's traumatic when you Yeah, parents... I felt exactly the same. Oh, yeah. we're on the same page with that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but worked out and, and it's just lovely. I love them both so much. I'm so proud of them. I am the luckiest mum alive, really. Uh, well, we, I think most mothers are, quite honestly. Yeah. And fathers. Our producer, Kobe, has got a new baby, his first baby, little baby boy. I thought he looked a bit tired, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sleepless nights. That's the one thing they don't tell you about, isn't nope, it? No, it's a trap. I, I can remember <laughs> when I was pregnant a long time ago. My daughter's 42 now, but... When I was pregnant with her, my first child, I kept thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I'm not going to go back to work immediately because I want to be with my baby. I didn't know what I was having. And I thought, oh, gosh, when when it's little, I can do so many things. You know, I can, you know, once I fed it and, you know, <laughs> cuddled it and it's sleeping. And you, you just don't know, do you? And then no. this little wonderful creature pops out. I didn't have time to breathe, let alone sleep. <laughs> I always say, I, I think of all the, everyone I know has had a baby. I think we all have at least a day, a week, a month where you sit on the bath crying, going, what have I done? It's kind of normal. And you think, this I is terrible. In... This is terrible. You know, I know, I, know. I, I, I was living in LA at the time because my first husband, Carly's dad, was American and we lived in L.A. And I can remember because she was a terrible sleeper. She, I mean, she was. there was nothing wrong with her. She just, and it was probably my fault because every time she cried, I went in and picked her up. Mistake. <laughs> anyway, yeah. you do it. And I can remember she must have been about 18 months too and she was still waking up two or three times a night. And uh, I can remember sitting on the floor in our living room in L.A., and just crying. I was so tired. And um, just saying, please, God, I'll do anything, anything in the world. Just give, give me one full night's sleep. Because yeah. you get, you, you know, it would, um, lack of sleep is a torture, isn't it? Oh, it is. And it feels relentless. And, and I think also we're so, you know, we're bombarded with images of perfect parenting. Yeah. And it, I felt like everyone else had it sussed. Everyone else was whipping up a tagine with one hand and, you know, farming <laughs> organic vegetables with the other and decorating the front room in farrow and ball. And I was just about managing to put clean knickers on every morning. And I'm thinking, <laughs> why can't I do what they're doing? You know, it's but... so true. Uh, it, yeah, that it comparison. It is so true. It is. But uh, you're right, because when you check with friends, I mean, the, the, the stories you hear are just... unbelievable occasionally my sister funny I've got two older sisters my middle sister who I'm very close to my middle sister Viv she's got two grown-up boys now but men um but her first boy he was unbelievable and that's what I I thought all babies did because that was my reference he at six o'clock wherever they were at home or in a restaurant or cafe he would lay down either if there wasn't a banquette to lay on in a cafe or if he was if he was home he'd go up to bed but from 
the age of six, he slept from 6 p.m. Well, younger than that, four, he'd just lay down and go to sleep. And he'd wake up the next morning at eight. How'd you get and one if he like was that? Out, if they were out, she'd carry him home. I mean, how'd you get me? one like that? I'd love well, exactly. to know. <laughs> I, I certainly didn't. <laughs> and when Carly had her first little baby, my my dream, Joni, my, my little granddaughter, and she's not a great sleeper. And I, I always say to Carly, see, <laughs> this is Calmer. your penance. <laughs> Calm. And funny enough, her little boy is a good sleeper, so... Thank goodness. But maybe because it's the second child, I don't know, maybe yeah. you don't rush every time they murmur or cry. And or... also I was quite panic stricken. And so I think he must have been quite panic stricken as a baby. You know, I'm thinking, mm, what's happening yeah. and what do I do? And I'm sure, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not blaming mums for bad, bad baby sleeping, certainly not. But I can say from in my perspective, I can certainly see that if I'd maybe been a bit more chilled, yeah. maybe he would have been. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. No, we'll never know. But no. <laughs> I think I think you may be right. So going back to your right, I, I was intrigued because you you said in one of your pieces that you'd sent stories to publishers and nothing was happening. So was that was that kind of in your late thirties you started to write? Uh, no. Did you start to write because you got an inspiration, or were you desperate to I, do something I, different? It's funny, Twiggy. I'd never really, you know, you don't know what your thing is. Everyone has one thing, don't they? They can do really well. Yeah. Like for my nan, she made the best apple pies on the planet and knitted Aaron jumpers. <laughs> and everyone has one thing, don't they? That oh, they I'm can knitting do. an Aaron oh, jumper now. That is Tell, very skillful. Oh, that is I, very listen. Skillful. I've I've had to un un reel the wool about three times you don't need to admit to that you don't need to say you can just hold up the finished article (laughs) no i knit it back up but i did i did go wrong it is so complicated and you have to i mean my poor husband starts to talk to me and i say don't talk to me now i'm counting (laughs) pearl one knit knit one slip stip slip stitch back oh god it's so but it's 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 looking very nice i love it that's brilliant by the time i'm finished it my grandson will be 85 for his 21st there you go that's what you always planned lovely just for all unaware (laughs) yeah so sorry so you were saying but yeah i I think everyone has this one thing don't they and i i couldn't find my thing I felt like I was rubbish at everything. I felt like I couldn't quite, you know, where's the thing that I'm really, really good at better than anyone else? And I'd always had this thought that I might like to write a story, but I didn't have the education. I didn't have the confidence. I mean, grammar, where do all those dots and dashes go? I don't know. I still don't know. You know, 30 bestsellers. I still don't know where they all go. I just guess at it. But what I didn't understand was that that there are people that can help you with an edit and do all those dots and dashes. Mm -hmm. You need to just be a good storyteller and and just concentrate on that. But I never thought I would. And every I've always been a massive reader, huge reader, reading anything and everything. I just I always have to have a book on the go. And uh, I got diagnosed with bowel cancer. And I thought, do you know what? This is my one time around the block. What do I want to do? I thought what I've always wanted to do is write a story. Um, and it kind of, I always say it was the best and worst thing that ever happened to me. We all know why it's the worst, because it's touched all our yeah. lives and we know why. But the best, because it made me think, oh, you know what? I'm going to start being a doer. I'm going to have a go. And Simeon, my husband, said, don't go back to work. You know, we'll manage. We didn't. It was tough. But, you know, we managed for a while. And I wrote my first book. And I think I never, it never really occurred to me. I thought what would happen was I'd finish it on the Wednesday. And then on the next Friday, I'd be ordering my swimming pool. I think it kind of, that in my head, that's how it was going to work. It'd be on the shelf in every bookshop in the land. 
thank you very much. Here's your BAFTA. Not quite. <laughs> and I, I literally sent it everywhere. If anyone had the word book or title or publish in that, they got a copy of this book. And I think I got about 70 rejections, you know, people just saying, mm, no one wants to read a love story set in Walthamstow in Afghanistan. You know, it's not really for us. It's blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, mm. and I had real faith in it. Which one was your first book? It was called Poppy Day. And it's a story of a young hairdresser who's married to, which lives in a, a council estate in Walthamstow uh, with her nan who's got dementia. And she realises uh, her husband gets taken hostage in Afghanistan and she understands that no one's doing what she would do to bring him home. So it's her efforts to bring him home and then what happens. Um, and then I wrote a prequel to that set in the 60s called Clover's Child, which is her nan's story, which I, I absolutely love. Probably one of my favourite books of mine. But it just, no one was picking it up. And I just thought, what do I do? Do I give up? Do I? And I thought, you know what? I realised that this book was never going to make me my fortune. It wasn't going to be the springboard to this amazing writing career. So we'll self-publish it and give all the money to charity. Because you know what? We were skint anyway. What difference is it going to make? Let's do some good with it. And Simeon, by this stage, my husband, had been on 13 tours and come back uninjured, which is luck. Oh, thank God. Yeah. And then many that come back injured and it's bad luck. And I thought, right, yes. this is a way to, you know, almost say thank you, if you like. It's that karma thing again. So we self-published it and gave all the money to the Royal British Legion. And because of that, it kind of picked up and got me some PR and some publicity. And people started talking about it at the water cooler and telling their friends about it. And, and it just started to grow and it started to sell and people were asking for it. And we drove up and down the country selling it out of the boot of a car at any RBL event, Poppy Day, Armed Forces Day, you name it. Oh, and we sold lovely. thousands and thousands of copies. And I was asked to go to Selfridges and do a book signing, which was really significant for me because my nan, my family, obviously in the Eastern, never went up West. Why would you? You know, it just didn't. And I can remember my nan saying that she once went to go into Selfridges, but it looked so fancy that she thought, oh, I won't go in. And she put her hand on that brass door plate because I think they thought she'd turf her out. And I, <laughs> and I, I never forgot it because it broke my heart that she had so little confidence. Aww. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah. I'm in there and I'm signing books. And uh, Simeon and I had had a conversation in the car and we were down to our last 20 quid. And he said, you know, this has been an amazing thing. You've managed to publish this book. Uh, what an achievement, but it has to stop now. You know, we, we can't afford for you to just carry on writing and not working. And, you know, you need to get, get a proper job, as we called it. And I said, yeah, you're right. That's it. We didn't have enough money to get petrol to get from London back to Bristol. We we're asking wow. my dad for it. You know, it was really it was. It was a bit of a grotty time. Anyway, long story short, there was this lady in the queue who'd come to this signing, this elegant, beautiful, sexy, well-spoken woman who just was just knockout. And she is knockout. Caroline Michelle. And she... Um, I, say, I know who you're talking about. She literally, honestly, <laughs> Twiggy, she said she swept in and she said, I've been trying to get hold of you. She'd been phoning my number. I thought it was PPI, kept deleting her. <laughs> That is brilliant. I'm sitting there waiting for this call to change my life. She's trying to change my life and I'm going, delete, delete. Can you imagine? It's honestly, talk about, so talk about funny. the world conspiring against you. Anyway, she said, I've read this book. She said, it's full of errors. She said, it needs editing. She said, but I think I have just the publisher for you. And wow. Caroline, she changed my life in 20 minutes. I can't talk about her without getting choked because um, she got me a, a two book deal. I think uh, I got a few thousand quids. No, not a lot of money, but a couple of thousand pounds, which was 
huge sum for us at the time. Yeah. Cutting a long story short, uh, I've been writing for 10 years. I've sold millions of books in 22 countries, in dozens of languages all over the world. She changed my life. Oh, that's such a lovely story. Amazing. Well, she absolutely loves and adores you, as you know. Yeah, and I do her. <laughs> it's, it's weird, you know, because on the face of it, Caroline and I have very little in common. But I start talking to her and she just has this passion to get good stories out into the world. And she didn't That's care right. about my background. She didn't care about all the things that I couldn't do. She was just absolutely captivated by what I could do, which was write good stories quickly. She said, this is a, a real skill. And yeah, I will I will forever... You know, some people, you, could, you just come into your life, don't they? And you just know that you're forever indebted to them. And she's my fairy godmother. Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, on a very different level, I met her... And she just blew me away because, as you say, she is so gorgeous. She's so glamorous. She, I, I, she always makes me laugh because when I go into the office, I go in in my jeans and my sneakers, and she's always impeccably dressed, always. And walking in those impossible high heels. Yeah, I always say, I bet she's never eaten anything straight out of a tin. Do you know what I mean? She's like, she's one of those women. <laughs> but she's also very funny and she very is. loving and oh, oh she, do you know what I hope she's got some terrible floor I bet she can't bake <laughs> I bet she can't bake <laughs> she came over to 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 see me for a meeting in my uh my place in London and she she'd rung me from the office and she arrived like 20 minutes later and I said you know, I know what the traffic's like in London, yeah. we all do. I said, how did you... And she arrived again in her high heels and this beautiful coat and a very beautiful, tight black dress. And I said, how did... She said, I came on the back of a yes, motorbike. She, she does. She does. She, she gets these... I said, oh, my yeah. God, that yeah. is amazing. She has such presence. I don't think I've ever met another another <laughs> woman with such an incredible presence. She walks no, into she's... a room and everybody you just know she's there it's like exactly. wow but yeah. she's also a doer and a mover oh. and she's and she, as I say she loves she loves talent and she loves helping people she's not you know she is extraordinary and survives on 20 minutes sleep a night she's she sends you a text yeah. to email at four in the morning I was like do, do you ever sleep <laughs> <laughs> not me I, I like I like eight or nine hours yeah me too So presumably this awful last two years haven't, writing is a, you know, you have to be on your own to write. Yeah, don't you? it's true. And, and and from that aspect, you know, I, my right, my working life hasn't changed and I'm just, you know, in my PJs, tip-tapping away. But I've actually found, I've really felt quite lonely at times. I realised that I love meeting my friends for a coffee. I love going out and having a, you know, a sandwich and a soup for me lunch. And and not being able to do that. I mean, I know it's small fry compared to what a lot of people have been through, but I think loneliness, yeah, it's certainly come knocking on my door. And I now really value all those sort of interactive experiences I can have that I've really, really missed. Yeah, I agree with you. I Well, the hardest thing for me, because again, like you, I feel very lucky because, you know, we, we've been in the countryside all through lockdown and um, with a garden and, you know, so we are lucky and we've got each other. But the hardest thing for me was not seeing my daughter, who's my best friend and my grandchildren. I, I, I found that excruciating, really, yeah. really hard. And we're now we're still being kind of careful. We're still um I mean we go out, we go we've been to restaurant. We haven't been to the theatre yet, which I'm longing to do. Yeah. 
I'm just a bit scared. But we've had our booster now, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but well, I think it's amazing that, you know, I'm just so happy. I thought science has come to our rescue and it's just how lucky are we to live in a country oh. where that's available and on offer. And, and you just think, gosh, you know, yeah, I think we have got a, a way to go. Uh, actually, I really hope, you know, Twiggy, I hope that at the end of it, that people are going to be a bit kinder and a bit more, uh, a bit more grateful to see each other and it's the small things I mean we all we all know it's always the small things that are actually the big yeah, things exactly. but I, I do think it's it's made everyone rethink about their lives how life goes on in you know because everything was so fast and so driven and we've got to get this and we've got to get that and we've got to do this and we've got to be this successful you know and I think it's just whoop and yeah. maybe it was some greater power just saying hold on you guys bit of a reset um, first look after your planet and then, you know, because without that, we ain't got nothing. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly well, let's, right. you know, let's hope. It, well, I think it's made people th- rethink and, you know, families rethink of the times that they get to spend together. And, and I think, like, I think probably we'll, we'll learn to live with it, this, this awful COVID, but um, hopefully control it. And also, it's a reminder that life is short, you know, life is short. Mm, and it took something for me to think, oh, do you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a go at writing a story, because I've always wanted to do it. And actually, it's kind of, you know, this, we've all been through it, what is it you want to do? It might be climb a mountain, might be forgive someone, might be reconcile with something you've lost, or someone you've lost, whatever it is, it's never too late, is it to say, do you know what, I'm gonna have a go at that? Well, you know, I've, over my career of 50 odd years I've done lots of different things because you know things have come up and and sometimes I thought to myself oh my god well I I actually said before I went to New York in the 80s and I did a big Broadway musical and I'd never really I'd done a bit of theatre in London but just small things I think I'd done a panto or something and the thought of going out on on a Broadway stage was terrifying because, you know, I, I was used to cameras, so that didn't phase me. But And I remember saying to the, the guy who was my friend, who was my co-star in it, who was also directing it, he rang me from New York and said, we're going to do this. And I, I said, oh, I can't do that. And he said, there's no such word as can't. Pack your bag and get on the plane. And he's right. And, you know, he was right. We did it. I trusted him. I trusted, you know, the people who were putting it together and, and, and we had a, a smash hit show, but, um, it's amazing. Okay. It, it's interesting. Cause I could have very easily said, no, I can't do it. I'm not doing it, but I would have, it's actually one of the highlights in my life of my career because yeah. it was extraordinary, yeah. you know, to go out every night for nearly two years. That's incredible. You know, singing and dancing and it was amazing. And if I'd have turned it down through fear, you know, look what I would have missed. Uh, do you know, I think, I think particularly women, I've spent my whole life turning things down through fear, fear of what I look like, because it didn't sound right, because I wasn't thin enough, because I wasn't, you know, pretty enough, clever enough, sporty enough. And I, it wasn't until I got to my 50s that I thought, do you know what, I've just got to, this is my one life. Mm. I can't do it anymore. I can't not go to a party because I'm worried about back fat. You know, I can't not go, I can't not go on holiday because I don't want to put a bikini on or walk around in a you know like a Demis Roussos tribute act in me in me caftan. I have to think. <laughs> do you know what? 
Life is for living. I've got to grab it. It is. It is. But you sound, I mean, we've never met. This is our first meeting virtually. But um, you feel like you're a very positive person. Yeah, I am. And obviously you've had some very, very difficult times in your life. But We all have, haven't we? It's just life, I think. Yeah, yeah no, no <laughs> life doesn't have it. I agree. But do you think your positivity has helped you massively go forward rather than go backwards massively massively I think you know there's there's been some things that have knocked me off my feet in my life like they do all of us the rug gets you know no one tells you that do they that the life for me is a roller coaster with pockets of extreme joy and moments where I just feel like I'm wading through treacle hoping I can get to the other side without losing a flip-flop I think that is life and I think the more you can sort of really feel energized during those low times it does almost it doesn't stop them happening there will always be things that pull the rug from you that leave you feeling winded on the floor but if you can think this will pass this will pass and those good times will come back and I I can actually change my environment my mindset my whatever you know and I'm not talking about depression I'm talking about low times which are very different yeah 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 I think it helps massively I think it really really does I've always thought it's always going to be all right and you know what it usually always is yeah well you're 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 an optimist I'm an optimist actually yeah and again I think going back to you know what's happened the last couple of years I think that's going to be one of the bigger problems to overcome is people's mental health massively and I think it's been really really difficult for younger younger people like teenagers because when you're a teenager or in your 20s that's the big time for socializing and hanging out with your mates falling in love falling out of love isn't it oh and it must it just must have been so hard well last year particularly yeah but hopefully as they grow up they'll come to terms with it but you know that's who I my heart really went out to mine too because little ones you know they had mum and dad didn't they but teenagers and 20 early they don't want to be with mum and dad no and 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 you're right that's the time of your life isn't it that's when you should be out doing all this stuff it's like everything was everything's had a pause put put on it so I'm hoping that it's going to be this huge you know uh, emergence of joy and hedonism and excitement and happiness I really want young people to go out and just grab life because I think I would hate for it to that not to be the case yeah have you ever thought of turning any of your books into TV or Oh, film I'd or... love to. I would love to. Because got... I actually think the one I've just read, Waiting to Begin, would make a wonderful film. Wouldn't it? It, it? Just to explain, I, I won't give give it away, but it's lovely because each chapter, it's all about this lady called Bessie, who I, I she's like my new friend. I love her. <laughs> oh, I love and, <laughs> and it takes place on her 16th birthday is one chapter and then it jumps forward and she's now on her 53rd birthday right that's the next chapter and it goes back and forth so you learn about her life it's brilliant I I absolutely adore it and that means the world and I think because I because when I write I write like I'm seeing a film so I look I look above the screen and I touch type which is what I learned at school the only useful thing I learned at school that in the capital city of 12 European countries but I look above the screen and I write like I'm seeing the film and so I think that's why it's quite cinematic because I just describe what I'm seeing. But you know, when I was reading it, I was thinking this would make a wonderful TV series. Thank you. It would be wonderful. I don't know how to get that done, but I would love it. I would. Well, talk to Caroline. (laughs) Caroline. (laughs) Yeah. Where are you, Caroline? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, it's. I think it would be brilliant. Thank you. Absolutely brilliant, and it's two brilliant parts for two 
wonderful female actresses because yeah. you've got Bessie at 60. Well, all the characters. Mm. You've got them at the different age groups, haven't you? Yeah, I hope it's so. It's absolutely fabulous. Thank you. Have you got any advice for somebody out there who's listening, thinking, oh, I'd love to write. What do I do? What 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 is the first kind of... Just put pen to paper you know and try, what? is I, that it? I think never, ever, don't overthink it. You can do it. And the only way to get better at it is to do it as often as you can, like anything, just practice. And when you start writing, don't think, oh, I want to be the next Joanna Trollope, the next, you know, uh, Jodie Peacock. Try and be the first you. Use your authentic author voice and, you know, write something that means a lot to you. It might not be a saga, a blockbuster, a, be- a bestseller. Write a paragraph. Write a letter, write a list, write a thought, a smell, an idea, a scene. And when you've written it, you know, if it's good, expand it. If it's not, rub it out and start again, just like you're knitting. If you haven't got anything to work from or edit, you can't let it grow, can you? You've got to start. That's no, true. Um, and it's I think true. a lot of people get hamstrung because they think, oh, well, this isn't this isn't brilliant or perfect or I don't know where it's going to end up. That doesn't matter. Just do it. Don't have to start at the beginning. Start in the middle. Start with a thought, a character, something you saw on holiday, something you saw on the bus, which is usually where mine come from. But, you know. Oh, that's interesting. Something simple. And, and then when you've got it down on paper, you can really expand it, show it to people. People, see what they think and learn your craft. I'm still learning my craft 10 years on. You know, I'm still where learning. Did, it. Where did Bessie come from? Bessie was a uh, 16 year old Bessie, was very much me. And I just remember, because I, I am 53, so um, I can just remember looking in the mirror on my 53rd birthday and thinking of my 16-year-old self. So I am passionately anti-Botox, uh, filler, cosmetic surgery. I believe in growing old like a decaying lemon in the fruit bowl of life. And <laughs> I looked at my face, and you know, I'm wrinkly and i got a bit of a tash and i got bags. Oh, and you <clears throat> well, I can see you. The listeners can't see you, but you look, you look pretty good, Thank honey. You. But I can remember <laughs> thinking of my 16-year-old self and all the things I thought I'd do and all the things I thought I might have achieved and the way I looked and thought gosh that's happened in a blink and it hasn't turned out how I thought or you know how I could have planned and I thought well that's all of us isn't it you know and, and the, yeah I'd, I, I'd uh, you know in in my profession which is well it was modeling and then performing people often say you know how do you plan your career you can't plan it number one if you're an actress you've got to be offered a <laughs> offered a part I don't know. I don't understand that planning a career because a you don't know what's going to happen and you know who's going to pick up the phone and say do you and you know and like you starting to write because you needed to write and you know I just well that's the wonderful thing about life isn't it totally but I also Nobody think knows. a lot of the women I've spoken to and men but particularly my women friends have said that things that happened to them when they were fifteen sixteen really shaped them. Things that were said that were nice, things that were said that weren't so nice, experiences, people they met. Mm-hmm. It's really a hugely formative time in our lives when we're becoming sexual, when we're waking up, when we're learning. It's that awful twilight between childhood and, and womanhood. And mm. actually, you're not either. And you have strong feelings of both. And it is a very mm. difficult time. Um, so I wanted to harness that. Um and really look at how we could take those lessons, that confidence where you feel anything's possible but kind of look at it through the lens of a 53-year-old woman. No, anyway, well, it really works, really, really works. Thank you. Well, it did for me, anyway. Thank you. And I can only um, 
tell everyone to read it it's really good are you writing one at the moment I am I'm just I'm writing a lovely one at the moment called picking up the pieces which is Nora's story I love the name Nora I'm really into Nora's name at the moment yeah great name and it's her again it's her childhood growing up with her artistic parents um in Spain and then it's her life married to an army officer in her late 40s and a few things that happened to her and how she copes with it but yeah it's smashing but I've got a lovely one coming out in January called to love and be loved which is a love story set on the wild cornish coast which oh, i tell you what i wrote that during lockdown and just spending time there in my head was real tonic it was lovely <laughs> so you couldn't go there presumably no i didn't need to yeah. I, if i'd been there once i can remember it so it's just all in my head so had you been to cornwall yeah a lot and uh, well, I used to go. Oh, watched watched a lot of Pole Dark on the oh, telly. Oh, I, t- I love Pole Dark. <laughs> so do you know I. what? I was in a recording studio earlier this week. I was I was recording an audio book, and the lady from Pole Dark, Demelza, was in the next studio. Oh. So I couldn't leave the studio for eight hours because I was I was so overwhelmed. I thought, oh, well, I can't bump into her. I'd literally faint. So I had to hide in there. They kept saying. <laughs> Do you want to go for a little bit? I was like, no, I'm fine. Do you want a coffee? No, I'm all right. I'm just going to stay in here till she's gone. I couldn't cope. Uh, well, when it because I can remember you're too young, but I can remember when the first pole dart was filmed. I remember that um, back in. Well, you must have been really little, wasn't it? It was on on the, a Sunday night. I remember that. Yeah, and my mum and dad sitting down watching it, it. Yeah, it must have been in the seven, early seventies, yeah. something like yeah. that. And I remember because of that, I read the fir- the first three novels. And so when this new one came out, I thought, I'm going to read them again. So I was watching the TV series and I read all 12. That's amazing. Over the next year, I got, oh, I got so involved. I love it. I love everything but about it. I was it. obsessed with it. Yeah. And it did, it did make you want to think, sell up, go and live in Cornwall. Totally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Buy a but... tin mine. Get down there. Fall in love with Aidan <laughs> Turner. Oh, hello. <laughs> that's so fun well thank you so much for coming on and talking to me it's been an absolute honestly i've I've just loved it honestly i honestly twiggy i'm i'm so i am very overwhelmed as i say i do have a picture of you in my loo and i've always i've always had i've always done twiggy makeup but if you can see i have a very bare face and i've always done twiggy lashes and i just honestly i think you're amazing Well, I haven't got my lashes on today. No, I stopped wearing. But I mean, in those old, in those old pictures, I've got. I used to wear three pairs of false eyelashes. It's insane, beautiful. I used to, it used to take me an hour and a half to put my makeup because in those days we didn't have makeup artists. Did you do that yourself? So all those early pictures, yeah. I because I was a mod, so you know I was a teenager. Yeah. Before that happened to me on weekends, at school days, I wasn't allowed makeup. But at weekends, me and my friends. 14 and 15 would sit and play with all these paints and eyelashes and and I had a rag doll in my bedroom and she had all those painted lines and that's where I, I got the idea it's amazing so, oh I love it you never know it's amazing honestly <laughs> who knew who knew anyway it's been a real pleasure to meet you thank you maybe we'll meet properly oh I with would, Caroline I would absolutely love it I can't tell you I'd love it a bit we'll have a proper cup of tea thank you lovely to talk to you bye bye (laughs) that was brilliant what a lovely lady she really really made me laugh but it was just lovely to meet somebody that you you know are a fan of their work and um, I love her writing 
and she's such a lovely lady and I, I can't wait to meet her properly hopefully we can soon anyway I hope you're all having a nice day wherever you are whatever you're doing and I'll catch up with you soon bye If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. You just heard a stripped media production. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.